A couple of weeks ago, my son played soccer at this place called Millgrove. Uh, as you can see from the photo, it's a lovely little spot at the foot of Mount Donabueng amongst some amazing forest, and there was snow on the mountain up there that day. In general, the field is used during the week for recreational activities. Uh, people take their dogs for a walk there. There's sport on weekends. Uh, people have picnics and things like that. In general, it's just a lovely little picturesque spot. Uh, what is not seen or recognised by most people passing through is that this spot, specifically in the middle of summer, is an important part of the community. Not only because of its use as a recreational facility, but because this place is a fire refuge, a safe place for people in the community to go when a bushfire might be raging around them. Some of you may have experienced this need to seek a refuge during what has become known as Black Saturday, which was in February 2009. Uh, that weekend, our church was having a camp in Marysville. They needed to seek refuge from what was become known now as one of Australia's worst bushfire disasters. At the end of that day in Marysville alone, there were only 14 buildings of over 400 remaining and 34 people in Marysville died. Fortunately for us, all our congregation was safe. They found refuge in the town of Alexandra and none were physically harmed. The campsite they were staying in was destroyed. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 46 and we'll be thinking about what it means to have God as our refuge. Uh, Psalm 46 starts by saying this, For the director of music of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. The sons of Korah is a reference to the authors of the psalm. Uh, they were Levites and they were responsible for music ministry in the tabernacle. And Alamoth means maiden, so it was probably most likely for a female choir or a group of young women to play tambourines to and sing. Psalm 46 is written celebrating the victory won by God and that of the city of God, Jerusalem. It's most likely related to the situation noted in 2 Chronicles 20, which Lynn just read for us. This is a great passage reminding us that we can come before God and they came before their God and he had them and he is their refuge. The Ammonites and Moabites are about to bring a great army against Jerusalem and the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jaziel, the Levite. And Jaziel says to the gathered host as they hide within the walls of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. I'll pray for us now and then we'll look at this great psalm reminding us that God is, was, and always will be our refuge. Uh, let's pray. Loving Father, we pray this morning that we may be changed by you, that your word might challenge us, encourage us, and feed us. Help me to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at my first point this morning. My first point is this. God is... God is a radical, safe refuge. 
Let me read from verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. This morning's psalm begins with noting these characteristics of God. The psalmist here, right from the beginning, wants us to recognise that God is our refuge. Now, God as a refuge is a regular theme through the psalms, so please read them. And when speaking about refuge, the psalmist here is indicating that God is our protection, our place of shelter, our place of safety. And note too, the verb tense, God is, that is present tense. Not God was, as if that day has passed. Not God will be, as if that day has not yet come. God is today. Right now, God is our protection and safety. And it says not just our refuge either, but our strength. That's right, God has the strength, that's the means to provide our safety. Now the original word for God here in verse 1 is actually Elohim. And this same use of the word for God is also found in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, that is Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. We're reminded here that the creator God, who was before all and created all, has the means and the ability to provide that refuge. And unlike the fire refuge I noted earlier, which really only provides refuge in specific times and specific circumstances, which is like all other worldly refuges, God is a helper who is always found in times of trouble. You don't need to travel to find him as your refuge. You don't need a specific type of disaster or trouble to have God as your refuge. God is continually available. God is with you. We must realise that God, our refuge, is not only continually available, but he's thoroughly adequate. It says in this verse here, God is our refuge, but also our strength. There'd be no good saying that God is our refuge if he weren't strong enough to provide the safety we need. It would do no good to say God is continually able if he weren't adequate, more than adequate. A refuge is pointless if it's not available. A refuge is of no use if it doesn't have the power and the strength to provide the promised safety. Elohim is our refuge and strength, an active helper. He's not passive. And he's not just a refuge, but that radical refuge that I talked about, a refuge that means that those who have that trust, that faith in him, have nothing to fear. That's radical, isn't it? Nothing to fear. Verse 2 says, Therefore we will not be afraid. Knowing who God is, knowing that God provides continual safety and protection, the psalmist reminds the hearers that because of these amazing details of God, there is nothing to fear. That's an amazing statement of faith. I mean, let's consider the disaster the psalmist then goes on to note in verse 2. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, Salah. That's a pretty disastrous situation, isn't it? We get an understanding of probably the worst situation. This is the worst case scenario. 
the work of creation is almost put into reverse. We've got mountains that are toppling into seas. The waters, which have actually now covered these toppled mountains, are raging with foam. And even though these mountains have toppled, they are still quaking beneath the waters. The picture's actually a dire one. It pictures a world in which it seems that the foundations are being destroyed. It pictures a calamity that's tumultuous and seemingly out of control, at least out of our control. And yet we're reminded that no matter the situation, there is nothing to fear. Now the verse ends with the term salah, which is most likely a pause in the singing or the song. So let's pause and consider. God is our refuge and strength. So the question I have is this, where do you run? Where do you turn to? In the middle of trouble, when you're in the heat of battle, you will run somewhere for a refuge. Perhaps in trouble you run to other people, hoping that they can be your own sort of personal messiah. Perhaps you run to entertainment, hoping to numb your troubles away. Maybe you run to a substance, trying your best to turn off that pain. Maybe you're tempted to run to food or sex, you know, fighting pain with pleasure. But none of these things can provide the refuge that you seek. Putting your hope there tends to only add disappointment to the trouble that you're already experiencing. Do you know the hope, the refuge that God has given us through Jesus? Do you know that God sent his son for us as a living hope? Let me read from 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus died because of sin, our sin, our turning away from God and his refuge. But God, in his great mercy, provides for all who would believe an everlasting refuge, an everlasting hope, a hope given us to, to us through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As Christians, because of God's gracious gift of Jesus, we have nothing to fear. We have safety from the judgment of God through our faith in him, safety from the punishment that we deserve. Now, if you don't know that refuge this morning, if you don't know that everlasting hope, come and have a chat with me or Andy afterwards or Clint, one of the pastors. If you do know that hope, can I encourage you also to turn to God as your refuge in prayer? Ask him to keep you safe in whatever is happening for you. He is always there. He is always available. Give thanks for the everlasting hope of Jesus. Maybe you could read Psalm 46 over and over and remind yourself of this, that God is our refuge and strength a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Uh, this brings me to my second point, which is this, that not only is God our refuge and strength, God is present with us 
even in disaster. Let me read from verse 4. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Now, the mood of the song changes quite dramatically here from the previous verses. The psalm goes from mountains toppling and raging seas to this serene new picture, a picture of a gentle flowing river that provides delight to the city of God. Now, the psalmist would be aware that there's actually no river that ran through the temple courts. It's not a literal river. Rather, the river is a symbol which is in contrast to the first verses, involving raging waters and surging seas. Rather than destruction, the river feeds the city of God. The river symbolises life. We see these two in Revelation 22, where John is given the vision of a river. Let me read from uh, Revelation 22. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down to the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The river in both these passages symbols the life-giving God that life-giving that God provides and further confirms the psalmist's understanding of verse 2, that because of what God has done, we will not be afraid. And we also have the city of God, and not just his city, but the place where he resides, where he dwells. There is a river, its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. The psalm is also careful to point out here that there's nothing really special about the city or the holy place actually by themselves. Rather, the thing that's special is that God is within her. It's the presence of God that is the special thing. God is with us. God is present. Now, for the Israelites, the symbol that God lived with his people was the temple. And the temple was significant for other reasons as well. So the temple was the house of worship and prayer. Sacrifices were made. Festivals were held there. But most importantly, God's presence was in the temple. It is where God was with his people. But for us now, as Christians, we have something different, something better. A couple of weeks ago, we remembered Pentecost, God giving of his Holy Spirit to his people. In Acts 2, after Christ rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles and all the believers. This is a wonderful gift for all who trust in Jesus. We are given the Spirit of the Holy God. And the Spirit? The Spirit gives us new hearts. The Spirit assures us that we are children of God. The Spirit is the guarantee of our heavenly inheritance. 
The Spirit means that we are never alone, that we have God's strength to live his way, to trust Jesus. The presence of the Spirit means we don't need to be afraid. God is within us. God is present. And note the words here too. He is the Most High. In other words, he is the one who is seated on the throne above all thrones as the one who is ordering the universe. He is a God of power and purpose. And what an exciting thing it is to be a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're immune from trouble. It doesn't mean that you won't have any problems. It actually may mean that you might have more. But the exciting thing about this is that in the midst of trouble, you know what it is to have a God alive and alert within you who is seated on the throne of the Most High, the God who ordered the universe, who is our refuge, lives with his people now. God's promised spirit is within you, guiding you, being your ever-present refuge. And what does that mean? Well, see, the psalm speaks of nations raging and kingdoms toppling. And even though this may be happening all around you, we have the Lord who just has to speak and all else melts with just his word. This section of the psalm ends with a refrain, a reminder that God is with us, a reminder that he is our refuge. Verse 7, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Salah. Here we have an emphasis on God's role as commander of the armies of heaven his covenant relationship with the people of Israel and his almighty power to preserve his people. As the Lord of hosts, God commands all the armies of heaven. He can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We face no problem that he cannot solve, no temptation that he cannot defeat, and no trial that he cannot overcome. And best of all, he is with us. When Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, he promised to be with them always. And Hebrews 13.5 assures us that he will never leave us or abandon us. God is present. In 2012, uh, 18-year-old Ben Breedlove filmed a YouTube video in his hometown of Austin, Texas. The video tells of several uh, near-death experiences that uh, Ben has had and the supernatural peace that he felt when he almost died one day at school. In the simple, short, silent film, he holds small white note cards in front of his face describing his serious heart ailment, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which makes it difficult for his heart to pump blood normally. As the video ends, the last card asks this. Do you believe in angels and God? I do. Uh, This video went viral overnight. And Ben, when thinking about this the next day, wrote this. He said, I cannot even begin to describe the peace, how peaceful it was, he said. I will never forget the feeling all that day. I knew God was with me. God was there. 
Ben insisted that he knew God was with him, that God was safe, and he experienced a peace, not of this world, but in God's presence, in God's refuge. Ben sadly passed away a few short days later. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. God is present with us even in the worst of disasters. This now brings me to my final point, that God is a peace bringer. Let me read. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Salah. Now, initially, it might seem strange that I'm speaking of God as a peace bringer when the verses here note that God brings devastation to the earth. But the psalm is actually reminding us to see the works of the Lord. The earlier verses of this psalm have been noting the nations raging and kingdoms toppling. The works of the Lord that the psalmist wants us to see is that the Lord has the power to make wars cease. How does he do that? It says it here, through the breaking of the implements of war, the bow and the shield and the chariot or the wagon, as noted here in this translation. You see, God wants peace. He wants the fighting to stop. And it might seem strange to say that. Any reading of history will actually show that war has actually been quite a common theme across the generations, even now. But for us, there is a warning. Devastation upon the earth. As Christians, we know that Jesus will return, that he will come to judge all. And when he does, on that day, the fighting will stop. The wars will cease. But those who want to rule the world without God without Jesus, will perish. That is the devastation upon the earth. Let me read from Psalm 2, from verse 10. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. The warning is that the Son, Jesus, rules. Those who want to rule the world without God, without Jesus, will perish. And in Psalm 46, God has something to remind them of actually what he really wants. God wants peace. Verse 10, stop fighting and know that I am God. Now the translation here in the CSV uh, here is stop fighting, but I think the NIV is probably more helpful for us. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's right. Be still and know that I am God. The Hebrew translation of the word be still does really have an understanding of probably something more like cease or desist, which makes sense in terms of the wars and the raging that it talks about. 
but I'm not sure that that fully conveys what's being requested here. Uh, When I was growing up, some of you may be surprised to know that I wasn't always a perfect child. Uh, My brothers and I occasionally, maybe a bit more than occasionally, had fights, okay? Uh, The point here is that my mum would say, probably quite rightly, boys, cut it out. Stop it. That's fair enough. But after that, I never really had a feeling inside me that made me feel at peace. Yes, the fighting would stop after a while, but I never really felt at peace afterwards. It would actually take me for a long time to feel calm, to be at peace. The fight might have stopped in action, but the fight was still within me. The psalmist is pointing out that God does want the wars to cease, the fighting to stop. But he wants us to be still, to be at peace, to know who he is, and that he has everything in control. Again, at the end of this, the psalm ends with the same refrain from verse 7. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Salah. A reminder that God is with us, strong and constant. Let me finish this morning by giving you a story about Alicia. Alicia is a mum who talks about her experience on a podcast called Vibrant Christian Living, and this is what she says. In a nutshell, my life as a mum became wrapped around helping my then 11-year-old son, who has ADHD and autism, learn how to cope and function as he went through some really emotional issues. He became nearly impossible to handle, not just the I don't want to do this type defiant, but the yelling at me, throwing things and constantly causing a scene in our home. It became downright impossible to do anything with him, let alone help our other three kids who were then nine, six and two. I felt incredibly helpless. Every single moment of every day was an all-out battle. I was utterly spent emotionally, spiritually, and physically. To top it off, my hard-working husband travelled nearly 50% of the time. He was incredibly supportive, but he physically just wasn't there at times. So that meant I spent a lot of time alone in the trenches of this trial, carrying this immense emotional and physical burden on my own. Eventually, our precious son was even hospitalised for several days. It required loads of trust and faith in God in order to get him there, but we knew it was the best option for him. After that, he was assigned to a special therapy three days a week for four hours at a time at a location which was over an hour from our home, getting him to and from therapy while also finding childcare and rides for my three other kids was extremely taxing just in itself. I felt like a zombie many days as I spent every last ounce of energy trying to keep life going for all four of our kids and our family. God became my only solace. I prayed continually and asked God to help my faith to be strong and to even have joy during this parenting trial. God taught me many things about my moment-by-moment faith during that life challenge. Specifically, God taught me that he is to be relied upon. He is a refuge in hard times. When the world was upside down, I could always trust him. 
God really is your refuge and strength. Only he rules every location where your trouble exists. Only he has the power to rescue you and deliver you. Only he has the grace you need to face what you are facing. Only he holds the wisdom that in trouble you so desperately need. Only he is in, with, and for you at all times. He is the refuge of refuges. Turn to him. Let me pray for us. Loving Father, we ask that you might help us to know your living presence more and more each day. Help us to turn to you always, knowing that you hold us, knowing that you love us, knowing that you have so freely given your Son and that through his death and resurrection we can, through faith, know that sin holds no power over us and that we have a promise of eternal refuge, safety with you. Help us to love and serve others and show the love of Christ in all that we do. And may all things bring glory in Jesus' name. Amen.